Uh, we are wrapping up our study of Scripture, and I wanted to just, uh, since this is the last week we'll be studying Scripture, I wanted to look at, not that it's the last week in our church we'll study Scripture, but the subject of Scripture. Uh, I wanted to read through the section in our Statement of Faith one more time, which says, We believe the Word of God as found in the 66 books from Genesis to Revelation is God's divinely inspired revelation of Himself to mankind and is to be treasured and obeyed. The Holy Spirit superintended human authors in various ways, such that through their individual personalities, vocabularies, and writing styles, they recorded God's Word to man without error. All Scripture is complete without any mixture of error for its matter, and entirely true and trustworthy. It reveals God's judgments by which we will all be tried, and it testifies of Jesus and His work of redemption. Therefore, Scripture is and shall remain to the end of the world our final authority in all faith, practice, and conduct, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Um, today I want to give some reasons for why we're switching to the English Standard Version here at our church starting today. Uh, the main reason we're switching is because the King James is Old English, and that just causes a lot of confusion. That, to me anyway, is the number one reason. Um, the ESV is just clearer in modern English, and it's you know you'll understand the Bible better. Uh, you should. I hope you know by now. I I have a love for the Bible, and I one of my main goals as pastor is for you all uh, to get into the Bible for yourself. And I think one of the greatest tools I can give you to do that is a modern translation of the Bible, because uh, it really does clear up a lot of that confusion. I remember when I first I grew up on the King James, and when I first switched to a modern translation, I think I was like 20 or 21. Um, I was amazed at how much more I was understanding. And I grew up on the King James. I was used to, you know, the Old English, and I knew a lot of those words. It wasn't like it was totally unfamiliar. Um, but transitioning to a modern translation really uh, revitalized my Bible reading, and I, I understood a lot more. So I, I hope that that will be the same for you. Um, so that's going to be number one reason that we would switch to a modern translation. However, there's a lot of modern translations out there. So why the ESV in particular? That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, the ESV is my preferred translation. It has been for the last few years, and it's a very popular translation, I think, for good reason. Among conservative churches, the ESV has very quickly become the standard version used in most, I think I could say this, most conservative evangelical churches. Um, now, if you want to just look at total sales, probably the NIV is still the number one bestseller you know, across the world. Uh, but that would include all sorts of denominations, all sorts of different churches and things like that. Among conservative, Bible-believing churches, I, I personally, it seems to me that the ESV is becoming the, the standard text. Um, in my opinion, it is the best balance that you can really have of a formal versus dynamic uh, translation. We talked about that Wednesday night, for those of you who are here. Um, it is a very accurate translation <clears throat> done by some of the top Greek and Hebrew scholars in the world. In fact, I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago Wayne Grudem, uh, who wrote that big systematic theology. I think I brought it in here maybe the first week. And uh, he was one of the translators for the English Standard Version. Um, one of, I don't know, 60 different guys that did it. So very top quality translation uh, in terms of the scholarship behind it. It's also based on the Nestle Elan Greek text, uh, which at times they do make their own textual critical choices, but for the most part they rely on that text, uh, which is the standard Greek text used in uh, academic circles. So the ESV is uh, really a unique translation in that uh, academic uh, circles of, of Christianity trust it as a reliable translation of the original languages, but it's also very easy to read. And 
easy to memorize. It flows like normal English. Uh, on the back table, I do have a few of these booklets by uh, Kevin DeYoung. It's called Why Our Church Switched to the ESV. I came across this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's just a few pages. You could read it through in probably 30 minutes. And uh, he lays out there some, <clears throat> some of the same reasons that I would have for switching to the ESV, and I think his thoughts there are very valuable. Uh, so those are back on the back table if you'd like that. If you don't read it, you're going to get most of the highlights here. I'm going to cover probably 75% of what's in there uh, this morning. And so we're going to walk through, I think he lists something like seven or eight reasons, and I added a couple of my own. Uh, but these are reasons why we are switching to the English Standard Version. Uh, number one is the translation philosophy. We've already talked about that on Wednesday, but the ESV uses an essentially literal translation philosophy, which means it is word for word whenever possible to the original Greek and Hebrew, uh, but it also takes into account the English style and clarity. In other words, it's not as wooden as the NASB, which is kind of clunky English sometimes because they're trying to be so close uh, to the original languages, but it's not as paraphrastic as the NLT. Uh, where they're just kind of trying to tell you what they think this means without uh, a close precision to the original wording of the text. We talked about that Wednesday. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to show examples of that this morning. Uh, number two, the ESV is a more transparent translation. Uh, and here, Kevin DeYoung is saying it's, it's more transparent than the NIV in particular. That's the, those are the two translations he compares throughout this little booklet, is the NIV versus the ESV. Um, which means, uh, when he says transparent translation, that means the ESV leaves interpretive ambiguities unresolved so that the translator, or so that the reader, rather, rather than the translator, can determine which meaning is best. Uh, this is one of the main reasons I like the ESV. I'm going to show you some examples of this in case that wasn't clear. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the ESV says, For the love of Christ controls us. Okay, and, and in that sentence... You could understand love of Christ in two different ways. That could mean the love Christ has for us compels us to live for him, which is what the rest of the text goes on to say. Or it could mean our love for him drives us to do that. So you see how it could be interpreted either way. <clears throat> and, and in the Greek, it is that am, uh, ambiguous. It could be seen either way in the Greek text. So the ESV doesn't make the decision as to which one it is. It leaves that ambiguity there and, and lets you decide, what you, you know, based on context and things, what you think it means. The NIV, however, translates the phrase, Christ's love compels us. And so you see they've made the decision there as to what this means, which could be right. That, that may very well be the right understanding, but it could also not be. Um, and so the ESV leaves things ambiguous where the original languages are ambiguous. Does that make sense? Okay. Whereas the NIV, NLT, a more dynamic translation will sometimes try to solve those problems um, by giving you what, what they believe the text means. Um, and that is one reason that I, I personally really prefer the ESV. I like that it leaves those statements undecided, lets you as the reader kind of wrestle with that yourself. Uh, third, the ESV engages in less over-translation. The NIV often adds words unnecessarily, not in order to uh, better translate a Greek or Hebrew word, but in order to clarify what the translators think the passage means. An example that uh, he gives in the booklet there is Ephesians 6.3, and the ESV says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The NIV translation says it may go well with you, uh, may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Okay, the word enjoy there is not in the original language. It should just say that you live, that you, the word in Greek is exist. 
It has nothing to do with whether you're living an enjoyable life. And so that would be an example where the NIV just kind of throws that in there, um, and it's just not, there's really no warrant for it in the original text. And so that's what he calls over-translating the text, meaning you're, you're basically adding something to the text that wasn't implied in the original language. Number four, the ESV engages in less under-translation. In order to make the thought of the biblical writers clear, the NIV at times avoids theological words and important concepts found in the original languages. Uh, and my favorite example of this is 1 John 4.10. There's many we could look at, uh, but the word propitiation is going to be what we're going to focus on here. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the ESV's translation. Uh, the word propitiation, normally you would say uh, it means satisfaction or appeasement. It's the idea that uh, God was you know, angry and wrathful against our sin, and Jesus, when he died on the cross, bore that wrath, and he appeased the, the justice of God against our sin. Uh, and that's, that's the term propitiation. The NIV translates the same verse, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, I've got a few problems with that translation. Number one, and maybe this is just my uh, theological nerdiness, I think the word propitiation is a very important word in our understanding. Uh, it's a word the church has used for thousands of years, or at least in English for hundreds of years. And uh, it, it's a very important concept that I don't want us just to lose because we're trying to modernize English. Um, secondly, I don't know that the words atoning sacrifice really clarify, gives the, the concept of appeasing the wrath of God in the way that propitiation does. So I, I would, I don't know, to me that doesn't seem to be conveying all of the nuance that the word propitiation does. And so this would be one of many examples uh, where the NIV tries to simplify something that, in my opinion, needs to be left nuanced. And, uh, and if you have to look it up in a dictionary, that might be a good thing for some of these important words. Now, again, I don't take that to mean every word we should just elevate it to the highest level to where we're saying, you know, some would say like thee and thou is more precise than you because, I don't know if you know this, thee and thou is singular, ye is plural. Uh, that's how they differentiated in Old English. Nobody knows that, though. <laughs> so when you see it, you don't actually catch that distinction. Um, so anyways, but there are some concepts, some words that I think we, would be better left uh, translated the way they are. Uh, number five, the ESV does a better job of translating important Greek or Hebrew words with the same English word throughout a passage or book. Um, I don't know how to exactly show you examples of that other than show you a bunch of verses, which I'm not going to do this morning. Um, but in the booklet, Kevin DeYoung gives the example of 1 John. The word meno is found over 20 times, and the ESV translates it with the English word abide uh, consistently throughout the book. So it's easy to trace uh, that theme throughout the book of 1 John. It's only five chapters, and that word's found 20 times. Um, and so by translating it with the same English word, you can see the flow of his argument. Whereas the NIV kind of breaks it up, uses different words, and, and you don't realize that it's actually the same word in Greek. Uh, so that would be another another uh, strong point for the ESV. Number six, the ESV retains more of the literary qualities of the Bible. <clears throat> and here he says, dynamic translations often don't do justice to the artistry, meter, subtlety, multi-layeredness, and concreteness found in the literature of the Bible, especially in biblical poetry. Because these translations are primarily focused on helping the modern reader grasp the meaning, 
They often undermine the literary nature of the Bible. Here's an example to illustrate this. Psalm 35, verse 10. Uh, the ESV says, All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? And that's a, a pretty much literal translation of the Hebrew there. Uh, the NIV, my whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, uh, Lord? Now, the Hebrew word is bones, not being. Uh, it may be that all my bones is David's way of saying my whole being, but the text loses when the text loses the word bones, it trades, trades a, a vivid poetic metaphor for an abstraction. Uh, anybody reading this in the ESV understands that David's bones didn't literally speak. It's a vivid image that he's using to uh, refer to the depth of his feeling and intensity of this prayer. And so, in other words, basically the poetry of the NIV is just not as good as the ESV. The ESV retains some, because especially in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, it's a very poetic book. It's meant to be. And so by just trying to simplify and clarify what the text means, instead of giving those exact wordings, uh, you do lose something of the poetic nature of the Bible. And then the last point that he makes in this booklet is the ESV requires much less correcting in preaching. He gives many examples to show this, uh, which I won't get into right now, but let me just say that <clears throat> I mentioned this Wednesday. <clears throat> um, when I'm preparing a sermon, I typically look up my text in, I don't know, 12, 13 different English translations. And normally, at least among the most accurate translations, is the ESV. If I were to preach from an NIV, I would have to correct it a lot and say, well, here they just are kind of simplifying what it really says is this. And so I, I, I like the idea of having an English translation that um, the people in our church can trust, that when you read it, it's an accurate translation. They're not trying to make things simpler for you. They're just giving you what the Bible actually says. And so in my, in my opinion, it is the most accurate translation of the Bible in English. If I knew of a better one, I would recommend we use that. But the ESV, I think, really is the best one we have. Um, now, those are the examples that I pulled from this booklet. I want to give you a couple others uh, that I also added to it. Number eight, the ESV does a good job of carrying the tenses of Greek verbs into English. I know we've been focused on 1 John a lot, but I want to go back there again uh, because it's very important in this book in particular. 1 John makes use of present tense verbs throughout the book. Um, and if you don't, if that doesn't come through in the English translation, you will totally misunderstand what John is saying. I'll show you an example of this. Uh, and I picked on the NIV quite a bit, so at this point I'm going to pick on the King James, okay? Um, the King James, this text is, is often used by people to advocate for sinless perfection, that if, you, uh, if you're truly saved, you'll, you can live a life of never sinning again. 1 John 3, 9, this is the King James Version, says... Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now those verses seem to be saying pretty clearly, if you're truly saved, if you've truly been born of God, you won't sin. You can't sin. Um, that, that's the way that it comes across in the King James. The ESV clarifies what is actually meant here by properly translating the Greek verb tenses. So 1 John 3, 9 in the, in the ESV says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So John is not saying if you're a true Christian, you can't ever sin again. He's saying if you're a true Christian, you won't live a lifestyle of sin. A big difference there. And the King James could rightly be used uh, to advocate for an idea of sinless perfection. And that's not what the Greek text says. And so by, by basically taking those present tense verbs, which imply an ongoing continuous action in the Greek. 
Um, it's, it's very important that you translate that accurately in English, otherwise you can really mis misinterpret uh, the text. A couple of minor points just to mention. Uh, the ESV has quotation marks, unlike the King James, which are very helpful at times. Because sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this reading narrative, or uh, especially the prophets, sometimes it's really tricky to figure out who's talking, and you've got to kind of go back and read it several times. The ESV has quotation marks in there that help you out uh, along those lines. Uh, also, anytime the Old Testament uh, is quoted in the New Testament, it will be marked to help you see that. And there's several translations do this. The NASB puts it in all caps, uh, I think, whenever it's translated, or whenever it's uh, a New Testament quotation of the Old Testament. But in the ESV, I believe it's quotation marks. Um, and so that's, that's another helpful tool. Uh, poetry is also reformatted in the ESV in stanzas. So you'll be able to see when something is a Hebrew poem. Uh, if you go to the book of Psalms, just flip over there, you'll see it. They, they, they break it up line by line so it's not just one text. Um, and so those would be uh, some of the, the stronger points for the ESV that personally I find very helpful. Uh, are there any questions? Any questions about the ESV in particular or about Bible translations, anything we've talked about? Because next week we're moving on to the next subject and uh, we won't be coming back here again. So any last questions? Okay. Uh, when I first sat down with Brother Marvin Malachi to talk about uh, translations, I think we talked about this, I don't know, was it six months ago? It was a while back. Um, I just asked you guys what translations you would recommend because I didn't want to give my opinion right out the gate. And uh, I think it was Malachi who piped up right away, and he said a couple of translations, but the first one was the ESV. Um, so this is not just my opinion. This is a widespread opinion of, of many people, not only in our church but also outside, that the ESV is considered to be uh, one of the most reliable, accurate, and readable English Bibles. And I'm looking forward to uh, teaching from it here in just a few minutes. Uh, if you do not have an ESV, there are a couple of copies still on the back table. I encourage you to pick one up. Um, and I, I know you may be used to using a King James. If you want to keep using it, that's fine. Nobody's forced you to do anything. But if you want it, that's available for you. Uh, there's also some ESV Bibles in front of you in the pews. Uh, those are not for you to take home. Uh, <laughs> we want those to stay in, in the chairs there. Uh, for people that don't have a Bible especially. Uh, and so with that, we wrap up our study of Scripture. I hope these last, I think it's been six weeks or so that we've been studying this topic. I hope it's been helpful to you. And uh, I hope you have a better understanding of bibliology, which is the study of the Bible as a result of this time. Next week, we're going to jump into the next section of the Statement of Faith, which is the Doctrine of God. Uh, so theology proper, we're going to start next week talking about the existence of God, and we'll get into His attributes, the Trinity, all of that fun stuff. And uh, I hope you all will be here for that. We'll have some fun discussion times. 